If you're like me, you care about getting the most from your workouts, which means wearing the finest performance gear. You know, fabric that dries quickly and has superior moisture wicking properties. Fabric so soft and comfortable, you could, well, curl up and sleep in it. Introducing Sheeks, spelled S-H-E-E-X, the world's first performance bedding line. Sheeks began when two former elite athletes and coaches had an aha moment, combining everything we love about quality performance fabric with everything we love about comfortable, irresistible bedding. Unlike traditional sheets that trap heat, sheets are breathable, so you aren't constantly waking up to throw off covers or add a blanket. So you sleep deeper, longer, and better. And sheets bedding looks as good as it feels. Colors and styles that can match any decor at a price that will pleasantly surprise you. And right now, you can try sheets for 30 nights risk-free. Just go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 12-12. This is our number two of the World According to Zig podcast for this September 24th. 2017. My name is John Ziegler. I'm the host of this show where you can still get the truth, the real truth, and nothing but the truth about news, politics, media, sports, and culture from a conservative perspective in this world turned upside down. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Hour number two is oh, usually, and has been recently, the hour where we bring in a special guest. We will do that momentarily, uh, but first I forgot to mention something in hour number one, the news hour, which I know uh, at least a few people are going to be curious about. I had mentioned last week that Milo Iannopoulos, uh, the uh, former Breitbart editor, conservative firebrand, who was scheduled to do a free speech this free speech week this week at Berkeley here in California, had uh, invited me to speak, and that last week I said I was, I guess, leaning towards doing it. Largely because my wife wanted me to do it, which was odd. I guess she wanted to get rid of me, or maybe maybe there's something else going on I'm unaware of why she wants me out of town, but that's another story for another day. I don't think so, but you never know. But for some reason, my wife was all into me doing this, and Milo seemed nice enough and sincere enough about it, and, and Milo has also expressed some interest in doing something with me on the whole Penn State Sandusky story, so I'm kind of playing along and you know seeing where this might go. So um, I had not formally accepted, but I said I was leaning towards doing it. Now, almost immediately after doing that show, I started to get the sense that something was amiss about Free Speech Week. And I, in fact, told my wife when she asked for an update, I said, I don't think this is happening. And Mediate, the um, news organization for which I write a column about three, three times a week, uh, they actually got wind of the same thing. And, you know, they asked me about my instincts on it, and I told them I I can see where these people that are coming to you expressing concern are coming from because I'm getting the same sensation. It feels like this isn't going to happen because Milo is very good at responding, like, immediately, as I usually am on email, and then all of a sudden he went radio silent, and there were some other indications that he was setting up a narrative of Berkeley having canceled this on him and trying to save face that way. Plus, it seemed like they, they didn't really have all their stuff together. 
Anyway, it turns out I was right. My instincts usually are right in these situations. And the free speech week has been canceled, so I will not be doing that. Which is fine, because I didn't really, <laughs> wasn't really looking forward to making the trip up to Berkeley. And uh, as I said um, in hour number one, I'm currently invited to be on headline news on Monday afternoon at uh, 1230 to talk about the Trump NFL thing to begin with. So I may not have been able to make it anyway. So anyway, the bottom line of that is uh, I, I don't know how much of this was manipulated. I don't know how much of this was a setup, if at all. It feels to me like this they intended to do this. They planned to do this, but that. The group, the student group at Berkeley didn't really know what they were doing and that the Berkeley put together a whole bunch of hurdles and hoops to try to make it as difficult as possible. And long story short, I think Milo realized this thing was going down in flames and is trying to make the best of a bad situation. That's my, my sense of it, but I don't know for sure. All right, uh, hour number two, our guest is somebody that I've dealt with quite a bit on a, a subject that I've written extensively about over the last two years or so, and that is the conservative media. Uh, he's written more about this than just about anybody else I know of. Uh, he works for uh, CNN as the um, senior media writer, and his, his name is Oliver Darcy. He joins us now, Oliver Darcy, senior media writer for CNN. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks, John, for having me. Uh, Oliver, I, I've been fascinated by your work, first with the Business Insider and then uh, with the CNN on this, uh, I guess what I would call the conservative media beat although you do you write about more things than just that but but you would certainly agree that over the last year and a half or so this has been your your strongest focus is that accurate yeah totally this is this is something that i um i'm personally fascinated with and it's uh, it's been something i focused on in my work uh, watching the conservative media um particularly in the age of trump but i think it's it's fascinating yeah, so let's go back and, and, and kind of get some context for this because, you know, obviously part of how you and I became acquainted with one another is that, that I've been writing about a lot of the same things. Uh, and you were working for Business Insider when the whole Trump phenomenon started. At what point did you start to realize that there's a story here with regard to the way the conservative media is reacting to him? Well, I had, so to add some more context here, I, I've been, you know, consuming conservative media and talk radio for, I don't know, 10, 15 years at least, um, since I was a teenager. So I, I, I felt like I had followed them, these guys for a while, and I knew what they stood for, what they professed to stand for, and that can be boiled down to small government and, and traditional social values and, and things like that, uh, what you would call a traditional, I guess, raking conservative. And so with Trump, um, when he came along, he obviously didn't hold a lot of these values or principles. And I, what I found amazing was you had individuals like Sean Hannity, you know, trumpeting, so to speak, uh, uh, this guy and and trying to say that he did stand for these things. And, and, and there's clear evidence, you know, on a lot of occasions that, you know, Trump was not maybe the most socially conservative person or, or didn't really um, maybe have the libertarian small government values that other candidates had. So I found that very interesting. And uh, and then when you watch it closer and closer, the lengths they were going, uh, they were willing to go to to defend him um, when the controversy started happening. Uh, that's also endless, endlessly fascinating. So uh, there's a lot of components here, but I think watching them go from being traditional conservatives to supporting Trump and trying to convince other people that Trump is a traditional conservative is a fascinating story. Well, do you remember, I mean, going back to, to when Trump first announced, do, do you remember, was there a particular moment or an event 
that made you go, wait a minute, something big is happening here with the conservative media? Did that happen? Um, I don't know if it was one particular event. I know that uh, when Trump said things, I think like the Megyn Kelly debate moment when he had made some comments on the stage, uh, and I was thinking, well, it doesn't seem like, I don't know, it's hard for me to imagine um, conservative media defending some of these comments, you know, when he said the blood coming out of wherever. Like, I can't imagine certain individuals in conservative media defending these comments for another candidate, and I found it really interesting they were willing to, you know, again, contort to different positions to, to, um, to cover for Trump. Uh, but I can't, I don't know, I'm trying to think of any particular instance that happened that I was... Well, well let, 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 let's go back even further then. See, because part of um, why you know, I may have been ahead of the curve uh, in, in analyzing what was happening with the conservative media with regard to Trump is that I had anticipated that the conservative media was vulnerable to, mm-hmm. this, to this kind of behavior for a very long time before Trump ever officially decided to run for office. And that was partially because I'd been in the conservative media at a fairly high right. level for, for a long time. In your consumption of conservative media, did, did you ever pick up any of the signs prior to Trump that this might all be a big charade or a fraud that could be turned upside down if the right person ever came along? Well, I mean, the, the one thing that people should know about conservative media, and particularly the universe, is that there are certain things, like, it's difficult to try to think of a way. It, it, it loves red meat, and that's really what it, it thrives on. And Trump came along, and he is just providing endless red meat to the conservative media base. And that's sort of what dictates, you know, policy and, and things like that in the conservative media world. And it, it, it's, it's, you know, like, they loved him taking out Jorge Ramos from that first press conference. It, it, and, and the stunts that he would do and the rhetoric that he would, um, that he would have at these rallies, it, it was less focused on policy. So, yeah, you, you, could see, um, you could see this coming, I guess, if you kind of understood how the conservative media world operates and, and what drives traffic and what drives ratings. And it's generally not policy. It's you know, the entertainment, the red meat. And so Trump provided a lot of that, and, and you know, he was not maybe as, uh, you know, well-equipped on, on the policy front, but he certainly provided more than enough uh, entertainment value. Well, and, and now you're hitting on what was part of the motivation, and, you know, the, the reality is, and I, and I even had put together a book proposal back in 2011 with this title, that the conservative media is a business pretending to be a cause, would you, by the way, agree with that that that, 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 that statement is true, that the conservative media is a business that uses the cover of pretending to be about a cause to, in order to drive its business model? I mean, it, it's, it's, I, don't, I hate to characterize the entire conservative media uh, as that, because I do think that there are certain outlets or, or individuals who you know, certainly stand for limited government and things of that nature. But I do, yeah, sure, of course, I think that some actors... In, in this universe are definitely more interested in whatever drives ratings or whatever drives traffic. And I, I know, I mean, I think a lot of sites right now are struggling um, in the conservative media world because they need to drive traffic. And, and what's driving traffic right now is, you know, Trump's, uh, Trump's the red meat he's throwing out. So I think we're seeing interesting, you know, uh, like, for instance, 
right now what's really hot in, in conservative media is not defending Trump, but also attacking media outlets or what they say as unfair coverage of Trump. Um, and it's a kind of a weird way where they can still have a meet for the website to drive traffic while also not explicitly defending Trump, but still fighting in his war against the media, if that makes me sense. All right. So I, I want to take this in, in as linear a fashion as possible. So, so as Trump emerges, and, and obviously I have my own opinions about this, and maybe we'll, we'll get into this, but I'm curious, as Trump emerges as the re- Republican frontrunner and then ends up uh, effectively in a coup taking over the Republican Party, which uh, so-called conservative media outlets or actors were uh, most surprising to you? that they effectively jumped on the Trump train? Hmm, that's a good question. Um, I don't know if I was actually too, like, I guess, surprised that some of these did. I think, I mean, Sean Hannity is the obvious one where it's like, how how is he saying this when he said this before, and how is he defending this or not defending this and spinning it in this way or whatever the news of the day was. But I, I guess I wasn't in, so, like, shocked. Because it, it, I'm trying to think, who who is the most surprising? I think... Mark Levin and him sort of embracing a lot of Trumpism has been a little surprising because initially he was very skeptical of it. Um, and I, I think what's, what I think is most surprising is the lengths that they're willing to go to. So you have like Rush Limbaugh, um, you know, I'm not surprised that he supports Trump, but I'm surprised at, at how far he's willing to go to contrive defenses for things that are really just often indefensible. Well, I would agree with you that, that Levin and, and Limbaugh are up there. L- Limbaugh didn't shock me because uh, I had seen some some weaknesses uh, over the years and in, in his susceptibility or vulnerability to selling out. Uh, Levin, uh, I felt um, much more confident in. But you know, but it's interesting. This might. I, I, I'm really curious as to your take on this. In your studying of this issue and your reporting on this issue, and I know you, you've got some great sources and contacts, I, I wonder with Levin, how much did his relationship with Limbaugh and Hannity and Coulter and I guess tangentially Matt Drudge, I've always referred to, to those actors as basically the conservative media cabal. I did this way before Trump, that they really dictate an enormous amount uh, of the narrative, and they're all friendly with one another to various degrees. How how influential have you found the interpersonal relationships of these media figures to be with regard to the Trump phenomenon? Um, I think well, I think certainly we know, for instance, that Ann Coulter and Matt Drudge are, are very close. Um, but I'm not as it pertains to Levin. I'm not sure really that I don't think that he was persuaded by these guys necessarily. I think he found himself perhaps in a difficult position where, like a lot of conservative media outlets or individuals who, you know, it's, it's hard, you can't be the guy who's constantly against Trump because the base and the audience really wants to be for Trump at this moment. So you're in a really, really tough position. If you're against them, you're going to be alienating a lot of your base. And if you're, you know, for them, then you're, you know, a lot of people are going to be upset. So uh, I, I think Levin maybe is, and I think he's still kind of stuck. I think that sometimes he's very skeptical of the president and other times he's, He's extremely supportive, and he hasn't really found, or he's not, I don't know, it's, it's a tough, it's a conundrum that a lot of people face, and, and I think it's interesting watching him particularly. But have you found, and if you disagree, mm-hmm. sure, uh, but have you found uh, any indication or evidence that these interpersonal relationships that I refer to, this cabal, yeah. all of whom 
t- have tended to be exceedingly pro-Trump. That to me, that's not a coincidence. But may, but what do you what do you make, if anything, of of that relationship? Um, I, I don't I don't know. I, I I honestly think. I mean, maybe they they. I'm sure I'm sure a lot of these guys talk. Um, I, I don't know if they, I, and I'm sure they come up with you know different talking points or or whatnot throughout the day. But I don't know if there's like this extremely coordinated thing where they all decided to be for Trump. I think it just sort of happened. And you had to be for him to some, to some extent, or you, no, no, or I, you were going to be alienated. And Oliver, to, I agree with you. That, yeah. that I'm not suggesting a conspiracy. However, and and this is maybe a different part of the of the, of the same conversation. See, to me, um, like the way that the media works today, with Twitter and who retweets whom mm-hmm. and who's a guest on whose show, it's it's almost impossible. As as tightly connected as say Limbaugh and Levin and Hannity uh, and I guess then Ann Coulter are, it's almost impossible for them to to be dramatically different from one another on an issue as important as whether or not we support the Republican presidential nominee because then the whole thing breaks down. Then they can't go on each other's shows and and uh and and promote one another and they and they're at each, at each other's throats and by the way they share the same audience so if right. Levin's selling you know the audience one thing it contradicts what Hannity's telling them so it it, it kind of creates a life of its own a momentum of its own where they all end up agreeing do you see what i'm saying right yeah and i i definitely agree with that although i would say that right now we're seeing kind of you know um some disruption inside this universe, right, where Ann Coulter is upset that Trump's not going, not building the wall, for instance, that she's attacking him now. So um, while Hannity is obviously not doing that, and so there is some disruption. But, yeah, for the general, for the most part, they typically these guys avoid um, contradicting one another on, on major themes, and, uh, and they, they tend to agree and, and, you know, guide the audience in one, you know, general direction. What do you make of Ann Coulter once again? Uh, I don't know how many times it's been, at least four or five, uh, threatening to, to effectively break up with Donald Trump. Is she being sincere? I mean, I've asked Ann Coulter, actually, if she has broken up with Donald Trump, because it seems like, judging from her tweet, she's not really much of a supporter these days. Um, uh, I think, yeah, I think, you know, I think Ann actually, I'm actually one of the people that think that she really wants the wall and she wants immigration to be curtailed, and that's her one issue, and she... You know, give her credit. She supported Trump for the reason um, uh, his immigration policy, and he's, he hasn't come through on it. And she's really just calling him out. She's like really the, one of the loudest voices on the right calling out Trump, um, whereas uh, whereas Sean Hannity is somehow still supporting him. Uh, you know, and again, he's coming up with different ways that he can he can say Trump's really delivering on his promises. But Ann Coulter is being blunt and saying, no, you know, he promised the wall, and there's no wall. He didn't promise a renovation of the fences like he tweeted the other day. He promised the wall. And that's what she wants, and she's calling him out for not delivering. So you think that Ann Coulter is sincere. See, I'm always uh, inherently uh, cynical and skeptical that, right. that maybe she thinks that this is the best angle for her to differentiate herself going forward, and and there's some value in being the first, right? The first major pro-Trump figure to break ranks. Um uh, so, but you think she's sincere. Let me ask you, I guess, kind of in almost the, the opposite direction. What is your take on Sean Hannity's 
level of sincerity is is he being is he really being sincere in all the pro-trump things that he has said defending trump literally no matter what or or does he just feel as if he has no choice because he's that closely tied to the president i mean i i honestly have no idea what is in his heart i think he would tell you he is sincere but i think it's what it is clear is that he's you know intellectually dishonest night after night after night when he goes on his program and, and, and comes up with some of these weird offenses, um, there are things that he's criticized, you know, he criticized Obama for that, um, that you know, pale a comparison to what's happening right now in the, in the Trump era. I, I can't imagine if Clinton were president and, you know, she fired the um, acting FBI director and was, uh, uh, for after, while he's investigating her, what Sean Hannity would be saying, but... You know, when, when Trump does it, it's, it's seemingly okay, and he says that the media is freaking out by covering the story. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Sean Hannity, I, I think, it comes as a surprise to no one that, you know, he's intellectually dishonest when he uh, comes up with some of these defenses for Trump and, uh, and gives him cover. Oliver, you just na- nailed what, to me, is, is the, the most uh, infuriating and frustrating issue in, in all of what's happened to the conservative media, is the rank hypocrisy. Uh, and, and let's take Russia for an example. I mean, you knowing what you know about the conservative media, mm-hmm. if, if Hillary had won and all the facts were exactly the same as we think they are with regard to Trump, on a scale of 1 to 10, at what level of freakout would Sean Hannity and the rest of the conservative media be on a daily basis about the Russia story? I mean, it would, it would be, we wouldn't, I don't think we would. We, there's anything that can describe how how much of a freak out there'd be. There'd be a huge frenzy in conservative media. There'd be obviously calling for her impeachment at this time, saying she's look. When when Clinton was running and and Comey was looking into her server, there was talk uh, uh, in the conservative media world of this is going to create a constitutional crisis, having you know possibly a, a president elect a president who's still under invest, FBI investigation. <laughs> and now we know Trump's under you know. You know, there's a lot of investigation going on into this Russia, um, into what Russia campaign did, and it's just like this is a freak. Out. It, I, 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 if it would, in some alternate universe, I'm sure Fox News is being, and and some of the people in the conservative media are being, you know, intellectually honest, and and um, and and there is some sort of freak out. I, I don't know. I, it's it's mind boggling. Can you give me a number from one to ten? I mean, it, it would be eleven. It would be twelve. I, it wouldn't be. It would be insane. It, it would be. It would be crazy if Clinton were under. If there was a special prosecutor investigating Clinton, and then she fired the attorney or the, the FBI director and talked about, you know, with AIDS firing the uh, attorney general, and then talked about uh, whether she could um, whether she could uh, um, pardon individuals. I mean, it would be. It would be it would be crazy. There w- there's it, it's hard to explain how crazy it would be. It would be you know, Drudge Report would have sirens on up, up up and down throughout the day for different things. It would be unlike anything we've ever seen. I agree with you. Now you've mentioned Matt Drudge, and and you and I are, have both been fascinated by Drudge uh, over the years, and um, and this isn't particularly helpful. Although I, I I'm curious if you have, have had a similar experience. I feel like with Drudge since he's such a mercurial character, I feel like I'm really good at being able to analyze why Drudge did something, 
but really, mm-hmm. really bad at being able to predict how he will react to something. Do you feel? Do you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, it's it's very difficult. He's he's unpredictable, and sometimes what he does actually baffles me. You know, there's some stories you think, wow, that that is a drudge story. I don't know why it's not getting much play on the website, or whether it's why it's not even on there. And then there are other stories where I'm a little perplexed as, as you know, why he's covered it in a certain way. But it's that's just the character. And that's just that's just that's just drudge. It's it's difficult to to predict him. Well. I- you know, I know that you've done a lot of writing about uh, Matt Drudge, and, and I, I've talked about it before, mainly because back in the old days when his right-hand man was Andrew Breitbart, uh, Andrew and I were very close at that time period, and, and even Andrew, who barely ever had any contact. People have no idea how isolated Matt Drudge is. I mean, Andrew Breitbart mm-hmm. ne- almost never had any direct contact with right. Matt Drudge while working for him I and mean, literally being not you know not just his employee literally running the Drudge report during most of the the hours of the day uh through the 2008 election and so you know no one fully understands him but explain to people why he's so powerful Oliver Well you you've done a good job of 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 this but there there are a number of reasons one there's just the sheer traffic that goes into his website you know he he has a, he drives a lot of traffic to other websites, and he, he because and he gets a lot of traffic to his website. I don't know the specific statistics off the top of my head, but um, enormous traffic to the Drudge Report. That's one. But also, two, um, he sort of serves as the assignment editor for the conservative media universe because he gets so much traffic, and, and he's an aggregator, so he's linking out to all these other outlets. So if there's a, a theme that he likes, a lot of other outlets will write stories and frame them to conform with his theme in the hopes of getting a link on his website so that they can reap the, the traffic benefits. Um, and I think that's one of the more powerful things. And also, you know, it's not, it's not a secret that the Fox News producers are constantly checking the Drudge Report along with most other cable news producers. So what he has on his website will affect what's on, the, on, the, on cable news. And so there are all these different factors of why he, he's influential. It's impossible to really calculate how influential he is because it's, you know, it, it just, it, it's like tracking, you know, uh, when you throw a stone in the, in the ocean or whatever and the, and the ripple effect. But uh, it's really difficult to, un, to overstate his influence. That's a great answer you just gave. Um, it's very similar to some of the things I've said. Uh, in right. fact, in fact, uh, Charlie Sykes, a former uh, conservative radio talk show host, had a cover story in Newsweek this week about this basic issue, and he actually even quotes me as referring to Matt Drudge as the assignment editor for the conservative media. And I, I'm glad you hit on the point about how Drudge can effectively create media narratives because everyone is chasing after the drudge link and i think that that was a huge influence in the republican primary once people realized drudge is on team trump all of a sudden there becomes a market for positive trump stories because if you get linked on the drudge report you mm-hmm. your week if not maybe your month is made with regard to traffic. Is that accurate? Right. And it also, you know, a lot of conservative websites, you know, will survive almost off of Drudge links. So it's a big deal if, if they don't get them, too. So even if you are, um, 
let's say, not writing the pro-Trump stories, but you're also kind of negative toward him. Maybe Drudge doesn't like you as much, so he's not going to link you on other stories. Um, that is an incredibly, Oliver, that is an incredibly important point. Because it absolutely right. w- works in both directions. Because if you were not on the Trump train, you get cut off from Drudge. And during a, uh, in a, a presidential election year with a heated Republican primary challenge, you're not, you're not getting uh, your seat at the table. You're not getting the feast. Uh, you're going to get hurt financially. So there's an extra pressure to get on, the, get on board. Right. And also, like you said, everyone just wants the Drudge link because it, it feels good when you see your, the numbers spike. After after you get one, and so uh, particularly again at these at these conservative outlets, a lot of times you know it's not like it's it's um, they're getting a lot of traffic on their own. So it, it, they really rely on these direct links to drive traffic and and um, help with the ad revenue. And so there's definitely a financial component there. But also I, I think we can't we can't stress like. Let's say, I mean, how many local radio hosts are there throughout the country that go to DrudgeReport.com oh. right before their show to yep. find out topics and whatnot? Yep. And so if he's pro-Trump, they might not even realize it right away, but they're, they're, they're digesting a pro-Trump diet, and they're, and they're feeding that off to their, their, their listeners. And it, so, like, again, the, the influence he has is really difficult to calculate because there's so many faucets of in, uh, that, that he leverages it. It's not only on talk radio or television or on the Internet. Um, it, it, it's, it's, it's in all these different... Um, Different areas, and then again, traditional journalists often go to the Drudge Report um, because they've been going there for years and years and years, and it's just a, a good place to kind of figure out what what the pulse of the news cycle is. So, um, you know, it, there, it, he has enormous influence, and I think really um, one of the things about this election cycle is as we've been analyzing, you know, who maybe was responsible or, or, or helped boost Trump into office. I think Drudge has been really undercovered. Well, I, to me, I, I knew that the the world was going to change the moment that when Trump got in, uh, Drudge went from being very sweet on Scott Walker, which very few people even remember, to to dropping Scott Walker like a hot potato, jumping mm-hmm. all over Trump. And by the way, I, I will maintain to this day, it, because Drudge was sweet on Scott Walker, it forced Scott Walker to create the infrastructure of a front runner. And then all of a sudden he wasn't the front runner anymore and he's spending too much money and that's why he was like the first or second guy out of the race. That's, a, that's the influence that, that Drudge has. By the way, just to, to, to go back on the prior point for people who say, well, you know, John's saying that, that Drudge would be vindictive and, and not giving out links to, to people he doesn't agree with or he's trying to punish. I know for a fact that, that he would keep Andrew Breitbart in line whenever he thought Andrew was getting too big for his britches by cutting off all links to Breitbart. I mean, this is his, this is his, his employee. <laughs> so this is the way that Drudge works. This is the way his mind works. Now, I've already said I'm not very good at predicting where he's going to go because, he's, because he is so isolated and so, so little is known about him, and he doesn't even do his Sunday night radio show anymore that I used to fill in for him on many years ago. So we don't even really have that insight into his his thinking. But I'm curious, Oliver, based upon you being an avid uh, Drudge watcher, follower, a writer about Drudge, having sources close to Drudge, wh- how do you interpret where he's currently going with Trump? Because I, I feel like he hasn't gone 
negative towards Trump, but mm-hmm. it's clear that the temperature, his, the heat of his passion towards Trump has, has dissipated rather dramatically. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I def- I, well, I wrote a story um, I, earlier this summer about that he was firing warning shots at the Trump White House, and I talked to some people close to Drudge, and, and that's, that's sort of what they were saying. Yeah, he supported him during the um, primaries and into the general election, but you know, Drudge wanted Trump or wants Trump to deliver on the promises that he made. And as um, as, as the you know time into his presidency progresses, and as those promises haven't been um, haven't been delivered on, he's he's growing a little impatient. Um, also, I think it's important when you're looking at him to look at where Ann Coulter is because they're good friends. And Ann Coulter is obviously, like we were discussing, one of the people who has come out calling out Trump for not delivering on promises. So. Um, yeah, I think that the good way to put it is the temperature has certainly changed. He hasn't he hasn't gone you know negative really on Trump, but he's not maybe boosting him as much as as he used to be. And I think we're actually overall seeing this slightly on the web um, in terms of conservative media. Breitbart now with Bannon outside the White House is is being a lot more critical of, of Trump, and then you have Drudge is being you know the temperatures turned down, and you have Ann Coulter. So I think. And even like guys like Mike Cernovich, who are really, really pro-Trump, are now starting to question some things. So I think, you know, you're starting to see the, the car maybe slow down and turn around a little bit. Um, but, you know, we're still far away from Trump being, you know, lambasted by the, the conservative media. Well, the, the gauge that I use, Oliver, is that for a very long time, I, I literally couldn't even read Drudge because it would make me so sick to my stomach or so pissed off i've actually found in in recent weeks i can actually go there and i go oh okay we're, we're in some we're at least somewhat tethered to reality <laughs> again as opposed to this fantasy world that we were in uh during the height of the campaign so that's that that's on you know that's what i'm basing my my his the temperature has gone down analysis you mentioned breitbart uh, breitbart obviously uh you know just below drudge was a major influence in Trump getting the nomination and, uh, you know, you could argue uh, winning the, the presidency as well. And they, mm-hmm. are in, they are in an incredibly unique situation because, obviously, uh, the guy who took over after Andrew Breitbart died, Steve Bannon, uh, was in the White House until recently and has now uh, left the White House. So what is your analysis of where Breitbart is currently with regard to Trump and where you think they might be heading now that Bannon is out of the White House? Well, now that Bannon's out of the White House, it seems clear just, just from looking at them that they viewed themselves as sort of the outlet that should keep Trump in line and keep him, hold him to his promises. So uh, I think that's what you're, we're, we're going to see. I think that they're going to be a little reluctant still to go after Trump directly, but... I think that the people that uh, Trump surrounds himself with, that Breitbart finds himself at odds with, um, you know, you're thinking Tina Powell and Gary Cohn and Jared Kushner and Ivanka Trump, I think that you're going to see Breitbart, and we have seen them, be a lot more critical of these individuals, where they were kind of holding back while Bannon was inside the White House. Do you, do you ever see um, them, Breitbart, I mean, there, even in the last few days, there were some very negative mm-hmm articles about Trump. Do you ever see Breitbart going all-out war with Trump, like some have speculated? I mean, I think right now, like, like you said, in the past few days with this Alabama Senate race, uh, it's the closest we've seen to all-out war with Trump. Um, they've you know, accused him basically of endorsing the uh, swamp candidate in Luther Strange, and they've said that, uh, that uh, he's behaving kind of swamp, swamp creature-like. 
um, and they've been calling him out saying, you know, this is they've been saying that that uh, um, what he's doing is sort of what he um, campaigned against. So I think that's interesting. It's still, you know, I don't know. It, it, I'm interested to know what happens after after this race because even Trump now is saying that he may have made a mistake endorsing Strange. So I think if Trump sticks to the promises he made, Breitbart's going to be a lot more happy. And if he if he goes down a road where where he is, you know, um, going to be okay with DACA and some of these other things, that Breitbart's going to be pretty enraged and they're going to call him out. It's my opinion, by the way, Oliver, and I don't we've you and I ever even talked about this in the uh-huh. interviews that we've done. I actually think that Bannon is way overestimating Breitbart's power. Uh, you know, um, especially if Drudge is not prominently linking whatever Breitbart's doing. Right. Uh, I think that Breitbart's power is exceedingly overestimated by Steve Bannon. You know, he talked about I've got my hands on my weapons again, and I'm like. Right. Who are you? What are you talking about? You're, you're reaching an incredibly small portion of the population, almost all of which are Trump cult members who are invested in his success. They're not going to suddenly turn on him just because you said they will. I mean, how do you see that working out? I, I do think that's interesting. Um, it's hard. I mean, if you had talked to a Trump voter and you said, you know, do you support Trump or do you support Breitbart? I think most will say they support Trump. And they like Breitbart because Breitbart traditionally supports Trump. Um, yeah, they're going to turn. They're going to turn on Breitbart because there's plenty of other outlets to go to that are pro-Trump. If they want to believe even, that Trump is the greatest, they're just going to abandon Breitbart. They're not invested in Breitbart. They're invested in Trump. Uh, well, I, although I do think that, that that Breitbart can still have a few. You know, they can still maybe diminish some of. Uh, they can win over some Trump voters into their side, eh. um, particularly if Coulter and some other people are with them. But I think, yeah, I, mean, I, I don't know how much influence they have. I'm actually working on a story that tries to, to get get at this. Um, I think that a lot of their influence was tethered to the fact that Steve Bannon was in the White House and was the Trump CEO because a lot of people would go there um, to kind of see what, what was on president's mind or agenda or the White House's agenda. And there was this report, too, that um, General Kelly, who's now obviously Trump's chief of staff, was um, limiting the amount of information from sources like Breitbart that would reach the president's desk. So if the president's not seeing some of the stuff that Breitbart's calling him out on, I'm interested to know, you know, that, that's, that's another, like, slap at Breitbart's influence, right? It is pretty hilarious that we have a president who, uh, because he, he doesn't go on the Internet... <laughs> Uh, and I believe his phone doesn't have an internet connection. The only way he can get Breitbart news is if someone hands it to him, and the chief of staff won't let that happen. <laughs> it's, that's although the, there are also reports too that you know Bannon saying that he's still talking to the president. So that's interesting. But I think overall, we get a good point: is how influential is Breitbart? It's really difficult, I think, at this point to see. We're, we're kind of going to be seeing this as, as it moves forward, and whether they can actually affect opinion among the Trump base. Um, but. I think alone they're not as effective. I think what they're really effective when it comes down to is they, if they can set narratives inside the pro-Trump universe, then they're going to be a lot more powerful. And I generally look at Drudge as the one who's setting the narratives in the pro-Trump universe, not Breitbart. Um, and if they're not aligned perfectly, then I'm curious to know, yeah, how, how influential is Breitbart on its own? Well, I look forward to that piece. Let's talk a little bit about Fox News Channel. Because, you know... It, Fox to me um, is it's it's a weird uh, dynamic because you mm-hmm. could actually argue. <laughs> I mean, look at all of the pro Trumpers who have been removed. 
uh, you know, since the election. I mean, O'Reilly's gone. Greta Van Susteren's gone. Uh, you, know, um, you know, we had a couple of others that were of lesser stature but still important that have been uh, tossed out. Uh, a couple got suspended uh, briefly. Uh, and yet, you know, obviously Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity are the the main opinion drivers there, and they're they're completely on board with Trump, and certainly Fox and Friends, you know, they're they're charter members uh, within within the, the Trump cult. So um, there, I know there are some people who think that the Murdochs are trying to 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 sever that tie with Trump, and yet and there's some indications that's happening, but overall the content doesn't indicate that. So I guess what is your analysis of? of where Fox News is on all of this. Well, I mean, Fox News opinion, you know, the, the primetime programming is, you know, solidly in Trump's circle. You have uh, Tucker Carlson and, you know, Sean Hannity, and now you have Laura Ingram, who's been mostly in Trump's uh, court throughout the, uh, the election and, uh, and since he's been inaugurated, who's going to be hosting her own program. Um, so, I, I mean, I think that actually uh, Fox, you know, particularly the primetime programming is, has been one of the more supportive things uh, or or places for Trump. And I think, you know, you see that when he watches Fox and Friends, he calls it the best show and everyone should watch Fox and Friends. And throughout the daytime, you know, even on shows like Outnumbered um, and um, and going into even some of the primetime news programming, a lot of times when you look at Fox, um, it's things are framed in the, in the angle that's more positive toward Trump. Um, you look at their Instagram page, for instance, it's, it's it's basically a whole bunch of pro-Trump memes these days. If you if you follow them on Instagram, it's you know uh, their personalities and, and the people, their guests. You know they have like their, like quotes that's pro-Trump or or you know argues in in, in the pro-Trump narrative uh, things that uh, that they post. So you're not seeing anything, Oliver, even under you know behind the scenes. You aren't hearing whispers that the Murdochs are are trying to dissipate the the pro-trump bent at fox news channel well i think i mean i'm not hearing anything particular i think in generally speaking it's 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 accepted that the the murdoch sons would probably prefer um a channel that's uh less pro-trump but i think that also that that's what's making the money right now and maybe um it's they they don't want to disrupt that i'm not i'm not really sure i don't have any um, keen insight into the into sure. the Murdoch world, but just my analysis and reading of it, that's, that's right. sort of what I've concluded. Well, it is amazing, not just at Fox News Channel, but a couple other places, and I've, I've written a little bit about this. It is amazing, is it not, how many pro-Trump commentators have had their careers, you know, at least partially damaged since he got elected. You would think it would be the opposite, right? If you're close to the president... You're you're in like Flynn, uh, but even at Fox News Channel, that hasn't been the case. Well, yeah, well, although Fox has been rocked by, I mean, I'm not the, O'Reilly wasn't removed because he was pro-Trump. O'Reilly was no, I understand that. I got, that. I got, I got yeah. that. But it it is certainly interesting that in the pro-Trump era, um, yeah, you, you've had you've seen a lot of pro-Trump hosts, you know, uh, their careers sort of uh, come to an end. Um, you know, you look at you look at Bill O'Reilly. Uh, that was certainly something that we did not expect. And Greta Van Susteren, she leaves, and then she that right. everyone expected her to fail at, at MSNBC because you can't be remotely pro-Trump at, at MSNBC. Plus, she had no she had no street cred uh, left after all those years at Fox. 
Um, and, you know, the other people, I mean, in other outlets, Milo Ionopoulos gets bounced from Breitbart and uh, Tommy Lahren, uh, you know, from The Blaze, although now she's been picked up as a commentator at, at Fox News Channel. It just seems seems counterintuitive. <laughs> that, that yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of problems in the conservative media world, uh, which is not something you would expect. Uh, I mean, there were more, you know, they were more unified, the universe as a whole was more unified in opposition to to Barack Obama, and now there's been a sort of civil war that's gone on. I read about this, like you said, last year. Donald Trump wrote this conservative media, but um, there's a civil war, and there's some things you wouldn't expect. But what I, back to Fox, what I do, will think, think is interesting is when or if Fox News primetime turns on Trump. Um, they've been, you know, very loyal to the president, and I think that would be a something to watch for. Um, whether Hannity turns, whether Tucker Carlson starts being a little more critical. Um, he was, he was certainly critical. Was he critical this past week? Um, well, he was critical of something this past week. I can't remember exactly what it was. Right. But what if this starts increasing? Um, that would be very interesting. Trust me, Hannity is not going to do anything critical of Donald Trump. He will be the last of the Mohicans <laughs> because he is as invested as they could possibly be. Tucker maybe right. slightly less so because Tucker is, I think. Uh, a little bit smarter, and he could end up seeing the handwriting on the wall before uh, Sean Hannity is is able to. And I'm not sure about Laura Ingram. And it's uh, not often that Tucker's pro-Trump, but he makes the same he makes the you know same arguments or fights in the same alongside him, right? Um, I don't I, I, I see Tucker more as someone who will attack the media for coverage of Trump right. versus saying. Trump's really, really good on this. Trump, Tucker is anti-anti-Trump, uh, right? For all intents and purposes, although I don't, I don't believe anything. With I, you know, I, I worked slightly, uh, you know, briefly with Tucker and know him a little bit, and and I was uh, pretty disturbed that he he got on the Trump train because uh, I don't think it was fully sincere. We've talked about who we didn't think was sincere. Who do you think in the conservative media, Oliver, has actually handled the Trump phenomenon? slash challenge the best is there anybody that you actually have more respect for than you than you had uh, before this th- before trump uh, changed the world and turned everything upside down well uh, in, in terms of sticking to their you know the principles that they had you know said that they stand for if you look at the national review and some of the guys there uh, charles cook and rich lowry um they've all been you know pretty steadfast and in in, in in saying you know these are what we stand for, and, and Trump doesn't really align on, on these issues. Um, and then if you look and talk radio, obviously Glenn Beck has been um, one who said that I stand for this, and, and Trump doesn't really seem to stand for that, and he was, he refused to budge famously throughout the 2016 campaign and uh, and then jump on the Trump train. I'm trying to think of who else. I mean, there, there are different individuals um, that come to mind, but those are, those are the big ones. Well, but Oliver, one of the things that, that concerns me most is mm-hmm. that uh, the way the media works is that uh, if you're perceived as succeeding, your behavior will be copied, and if you're perceived as having failed, your your, your behavior will never be copied because uh, media members are, are narcissistic and are concerned very much about themselves. I, I think media members are a lot like Donald Trump, which is partially why he's so good at manipulating the media because he, he, he gets what makes them tick because they're basically made of the same stuff. And I guess my greatest concern in all this is that uh, because of the lessons of all this, there's not going to be any price for having sold out to Trump. The only price anyone's going to pay, really, uh, in the long run, is for not having 
sold out to Trump, like Glenn Beck being the, the perfect example, and to a much lesser degree, people like myself. I find it laughable. There have been some people <laughs> who have actually thought that somehow the never-Trump conservatives were making a long-term uh, career play, thinking that somehow they would benefit in the long run if Trump failed, which is just preposterous, because uh, that's not the way it's going to work. Let's, let's, let's clear that up right, right now. That's not the way this is going to work, right? If, in fact, let's say Trump is a complete disaster and a failure— there's not going to be a massive sea change in the conservative media where all of a sudden all the never Trump conservatives are given primetime spots on Fox News Channel, right? That's not going to happen. Right. And I think if you talk to any of these never Trump conservatives, they would much be much happier if they had a candidate that they could support or at least just, you know, hold a nose and support. But and with, with Trump, they often feel that they have no choice but to speak out against them. Um, and uh, that's not something I think, it's not exactly the position a lot of these individuals really want to be in. Right, but just to get back to my, my previous point before I yeah. got sidetracked, is am I right, Oliver, that based on the lessons of Trump in the future, we're going to have more sellouts in the conservative media, not less? I, I mean, I, I think you're certainly right in, in that, like a lot, like we were talking about, a lot of individuals in the movements or in the media, conservative media universe, are, are not necessarily guided by principles and things, but by money and ratings and, and what's popular. And so, yeah, if, if the popularity shifts to something or another thing, I think you're going to have individuals sort of chasing whatever's hot. And it's all, it's especially when the business model is broken, the pressure to sell out for ratings or, or traffic or revenue is, is immense and will only get larger. And I guess that's part of, you know, part of where, as I want to look into the future now, Oliver, see, I'm very skeptical that, uh, that Trump is, and I'm, coming, I'm becoming increasingly skeptical, that Trump would ever be removed from office. I think there's a good chance he gets impeached if the Democrats take the House, but I don't think he'll ever be removed, one, because it's very difficult to do so politically. But also, I'm looking at, okay, who has the incentive for Trump to be removed? The conservative media is not going to, because if he gets removed, then they all look like idiots. The liberal media is living off of Donald Trump. He's the full employment act. For, for media members, he, he creates more content than any president in history by far. So, so what's the media incentive for Donald Trump to ever be removed as president? Well, I think, you know, if we're talking about the media in general, I mean, we, we just talked about that's the liberal media and the conservative media. I think there's certainly a lot of um, other outlets that just want to cover this fairly, and, 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 and if that leads to one thing or another. But, yeah, yeah I do think that uh, it, it's difficult to imagine Trump ever doing anything that's going to get certain individuals like Sean Hannity um, off of the Trump train, um, it's, it's, it's hard to fathom. Yeah, but it's not just, I mean, it's not just the conservative media. The liberal media, the mainstream media, would you, would you, what do you make of this, that, that there is a symbiotic, counterintuitive, somewhat of a conflict of interest going on where the news media clearly and the liberal mainstream news media has disdain for Trump, but they're also benefiting from him. Are they not? Well, certainly Trump's, I think, good for ratings, and I think it would be hard to argue against that. But I don't think that that's like guiding news coverage in newsrooms where they're like, oh, we want to like criticize him, but not enough where he, it actually might hurt him. I think, you know, I think there are a lot of, I mean, if we're talking about just newsrooms and non-opinion programming, 
um, people are just trying to cover the story of what's going on, and I don't think that a lot of people are thinking, most journalists I know aren't thinking, how is this going to, you know, is this going to take Trump down? They're just trying to say, this is what's going on with the Russian investigation, this is the latest break, and they're reporting aggressively because they view their job as, you know, holding powerful people accountable, uh, perhaps. And, but And I would like, like to, Oliver, I would like to believe that's the case, and I'll take your word for it, that, that you think that's the case, but I think that if it ever got down to brass tacks... And let's say it got to the Senate in a trial. I think the media might start to go, you know, this was bad, but does it really rise to the level of an impeachable offense? You know, did our founders really have this as an intent? Isn't it not dangerous to be removing a president under these circumstances? They're going to find a way (laughs) for for Trump to stay there because Mike Pence ain't going to be good for business. Uh, and and that, that's just my personal opinion. I'm not going to put you on the spot on and respond to that because I don't. I know you don't want to. But um, but let's talk about something that you you have reported on, and that is the most recent developments with regard to Trump and the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Uh, what is your your take on how the conservative media is reacting to this uh, latest fiasco? Well, I think this is a this is an issue that they really don't mind um, jumping in the ring on because they're they're coming up on the side of we. We support, uh, uh, we want people to stand for the national anthem and, and respect the flag, and I think that's very popular with the base and a lot of people in general. So um, they're, they're framing it as, right now, um, Trump you know, is the uh, patriotic American, so to speak, in the Trump, pro-Trump universe, going against the you know, evil elite athletes who are spoiled and um, displaying un-American behavior, and that's sort of how the Trump universe is spinning it, and it's very, very popular with the base. It's a lot of red meat. Uh, if you just go on conservative websites right now, news websites, um, you know, that there, there's endless red meat, so to speak, for this, and so it's driving a lot of traffic, and I think it's something that they uh, find as a winning issue with, uh, with Trump supporters. How would the conservative media have reacted if Barack Obama had referred to uh, you know, prominent uh, law-abiding celebrities as sons of bitches and then urged their employers to fire them if they didn't do what he liked. Uh, right. I mean, it would, it, would be, it would be, again, the complete opposite of what's happening. They would, they would be freaking out. And instead of defending the president, they would be going way against him. If, if someone like Tim Tebow had, you know, kneeled down and then and President Obama had, had said some of the things that, even half of what he said that, of what Trump said, um, I mean, there would be it would, it would be the opposite direction. There would be people saying the president's inappropriate. How dare he? Who does he think he is? Does he not believe in free speech? Um, and so, you know, this is once again one of those things where partisanship really turns out to be quite the drug. That's true. It is a drug, uh, and it's it's all about uh, ratings, revenue, and keeping the gig. Uh, and Oliver, I, I really appreciated your reporting over the last couple of years, because it's good to know that somebody out there uh, is paying attention and, and, and reporting the truth on an incredibly important issue of what's happened uh, to the conservative media. For th- so thank you for that, and thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, John, and thank, thank you for having me. Let's do it again. All right, keep in touch. That's uh, right. Oliver Darcy. He is the senior media reporter for CNN. Check out his work and follow him on uh, Twitter. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that interview as uh, as much as I did. An incredibly important subject matter and one that's uh, near and dear to my heart because of the fact uh, that obviously I spend most of my life in conservative media. I do urge you to check out Charlie Sykes' piece, the cover piece in Newsweek. Uh, it's very similar to a piece that I wrote in March of 2016. 
about uh, how the conservative media sold its soul and facilitated the uh, nomination of Donald Trump. But I don't I'm not claiming that uh, Charlie plagiarized. It's obviously all out there in the public record. And Charlie was nice enough to quote me. So and he's got a book coming out on this subject. So check that out uh, if you get a chance. As is always the case, I ask only two things of you. If uh, you can do so, please share this uh, podcast via social media, Twitter, Facebook, word of mouth, what have you. And number two, do yourself a favor. And if you're one of those people who sleeps and when you do, you use sheets, pay attention to this important message. My name is John Ziegler. Our website is freespeechbroadcasting.com. Coffee? Oh, thanks. How did you sleep? Like a baby. I don't want to get out of bed ever. These sheets are mm, incredibly soft. What did you say they're called again? Performance bedding by Sheiks. <laughs> performance bedding? <laughs> yeah. They're made from super high-tech performance fabric. They're incredibly breathable, so you're not waking up at night throwing covers off and then an hour later throwing them back on. Huh. No wonder I slept so good. Since I started using Sheiks, I sleep like a baby. No more sweaty nights for me. No? Well. <laughs> well, I like them because they're soft. They feel like, mm, silk. Performance fabric, huh? Maybe we should... Oh, I don't know. Try them out again. <laughs> <laughs> Comfort and performance for better sleep. That's Sheiks. S-H-E-E-X. Sheiks. Try Sheiks for 30 nights risk-free. Go to sleepcoolnow.com. Use promo code 1212 and get $40 off any sheet set. That's sleepcoolnow.com, promo code 1212. Sleepcoolnow.com, 1212.